Hi, this is Ben Lola, back to the Bible Canada. Today, in the final message from our series on Ruth, we'll look at the concluding verses to wrap up this great book. Let's listen now to Dr. Neufeld's lesson about individual faithfulness and the eternal plans of God. Let's turn to Ruth chapter 4, verses 17 to 21. We've come to the end of our study of Ruth. The last verses of the book include the name of the son of Ruth and his genealogy. The book ends in what may seem a rather anticlimactic ending, at least to modern readers. It's like the credits that scroll through the screen at the end of the movie after the drama ends. No one really pays attention. The story's now over. But if that's what we think we're wrong, there is yet one part of the story that simply must yet be told. If you were an ancient Jewish reader, this part of the book would actually be a climax. What became of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz? What did this story actually mean? How does God's providence in relation to Naomi actually affect the entire people of God? What is the long-term implication of one woman, Ruth, and her decision to make her home under the wings of the God of Israel? Does individual faithfulness impact the future, and how are we impacted by this story? The genealogy answers these questions. Well, those are the things that the book of Ruth has yet to teach us. But before we read the end of the book, let me prepare you to see what we're supposed to see at the end of this book. First, the genealogy that we will read tells us that God cares for people who place their trust in Him. Secondly, the book teaches us that all of us are called upon to witness what the hand of God has done. Third, that sometimes the most profound moments when God's great works are done are not done in a powerful miracle or through a mighty king, but in an everyday, ordinary person simply choosing to be faithful. Never underestimate the power of individual faithfulness. And finally, and fourthly, we need to see in this story the unfolding of God's eternal plans. So let's try to take all these themes on one at a time. First of all, God cares for and redeems his own. Ruth 4.17, speaking of Ruth's baby, says, And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. The name Obed means servant. A longer form of the name is Obadiah, which means servant of God. But this boy is given the short form of the name. He is simply called servant. It doesn't mean that the people of the town didn't want him to be a servant of God, but they say, the son has been born to Naomi, and that should be his rightful name. Now, in truth, Naomi isn't even related to the boy. The mother is Ruth, and Naomi is only the mother-in-law, and the father is Boaz, who is related to Naomi's dead husband and not to Naomi. And so there is no blood connection between Naomi and Obed. But that's the beauty of this story. Since the marriage between Ruth and Boaz is what has been called a Leverite marriage, then this boy in some fashion is reckoned to Naomi and symbolizes that God has not forgotten Naomi. The woman who had once complained that the hand of God was against her, that all that she had left was emptiness accompanied by bitterness, now holds a baby in her lap. And that baby represents the promises of her economic future has been taken care of and her place in Israel will not be forgotten. Obed is called a servant, not because he serves Naomi, but because he is the symbol that the great God of Israel has served Naomi. God has not forgotten her. God cares for his own. He never forgets his people. He provides. 
Perhaps you need to hear that. If you're struggling with your losses, this is the story of encouragement. God will restore. God will provide. Well, here's the second point. We are to witness this event. Let's read the last five verses in Ruth. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Anyone counting the list of names will notice there are 10 names on the list. Interestingly enough, the father of Perez is in fact Judah, but his name is not mentioned, and that's curious because Judah had received the marvelous promise given in Genesis 49 verse 10. That verse says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, since a great kingdom was promised Judah's descendant, and because David, who is the great king, is the last of this genealogical list, we might wonder why not add the name Judah, kind of like bookends to an amazing story. First Judah, then David, a great story, but Judah's not mentioned. Furthermore, careful students of the Bible will notice that the time period from Perez all the way to David covers a time span of around 650 years. Now, if you do your math, it seems highly unlikely that 10 generations cover that much time, much more like half that much time. And very careful Bible students will also notice that in 1 Chronicles 2, verse 25, that Ram is said to be the son of a man named Jeremiel, and only the grandson of Hezron, whereas in the Ruth account, it lists Ram as the son, not the grandson of Hezron. So what's going on? Well, the answer has to do with the way many ancient Jewish genealogies work. Many genealogies list the ancestor and not the literal father of someone. So to say Hezron fathered Ram is like saying Hezron became the ancestor of Ram without necessarily listing all the names of the people in that genealogical list. All that to say that the genealogy in Ruth deliberately lists only 10 names when, in fact, it seems likely that there were more, but why? And the answer has to do with the number 10. Go back to Ruth chapter 1, verse 4. We were told that Naomi and her family lived in Moab for 10 years. For 10 years, they had abandoned the land of promise and had tasted death. And then go forward to Ruth chapter 4, verse 2. In that verse, we're told that in order to marry Ruth and so preserve the inheritance of Ruth and Naomi, Boaz had gathered 10 elders at the city to legally witness what was about to be done. In both cases, the number 10 was significant. 10 years of loss and tragedy. 10 witnesses of the fact that loss and tragedy never stand in the way of God's redemption and his ability to care for his own. And now 10 heirs of the promise indicating that God's plans are on track. And as we read of these dealings, so long after they have occurred, we are overwhelmed that we are witnessing the gracious hand of God who has done a complete work. But there's a third thing that we ought to notice as we read. God often works in ways we can't see until later. Let's go back to the beginning of our genealogy. We notice the 10 names. It's fascinating to me that in Genesis 5, that genealogy traces 10 names from Adam to Noah. From the creation to the fall, to the rise of wickedness so great that it would destroy God's promise, to God taking initiative in the flood to ensure that his chosen people are not erased. 
That was the story then, and that story included 10 names. That's in Genesis 5. Then as we go to Genesis 11, 10 to 26, as the descendants of Noah are traced to Abraham again, fascinatingly enough, 10 generations. After Noah, the earth again resumes her old sinful ways, but God is building a genealogy that will lead to Abraham and bringing of a spiritual blessing to the whole world in 10 generations. And in the end of Ruth, during Israel's dark ages, in which the law of God is ignored, the author of Ruth wants us to see that from the time of Perez, God has been building a plan to bring King David into the world, and that lineage would eventually bring a Savior into the world. The number 10 signals that God is at work, and only much later do we ever see what God was up to. Ruth and Boaz could not have known that their individual story of faithfulness, which in some way seems so unremarkable, was all leading up to God's program of redemption. Years later, Isaiah the prophet was to challenge people living in their own very difficult time. He would say, and I'm reading from Isaiah 40, verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. In other words, How easy it is to think that our own individual response of obedience and faith is insignificant to the grand scheme and design of all things. God doesn't notice me, nor is what I do important. How easy it is to think that only great kings and prophets and preachers and great leaders will ever make a difference. I feel abandoned by God and useless. To this kind of thinking, Isaiah responds, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Indeed, we do well to remember that we can never know what faithfulness actually produces in our time. What happens to Ruth and her choices to be faithful to the Lord who called her and caused her to be faithful. What happens to her has ramifications that she will not know in her time period, but other generations will see. I hope that gives you hope. As we continue, we're gonna see a pattern of that being developed. When we read the Bible, there are many times, I think, when we're tempted to skip past what at first glance appears to be just a dry list of names. But here we can begin to appreciate the significance of this genealogy and understand the unfolding of God's plan. After all, it was this plan that ultimately heralded the arrival of Jesus Christ. After this short break, we'll wrap up the book of Ruth to see more truths about faithfulness and the plans of God. This Christmas, Laugh Again with Phil Calloway and award-winning artist Jay Calder will once again partner up with Back to the Bible Canada and Compassion Canada to bring you the third annual Laugh Again Christmas Tour. And we're still looking for just a few partner host churches. So if you want more information on hosting this great community and church Christmas celebration, call us today at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. When I read the genealogy in the end of Ruth, I am struck by the names I find there. We start with the name Perez. We've already made mention of that awkward history, but let me recount it. First of all, we noted that Perez is the son of Judah, but it's not that straightforward. 
Judah married a Canaanite woman, and we are to suppose that this woman was not a woman of faith. The two of them had three sons. The names were Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Judah arranged a marriage for Ur, and the woman he found for his oldest son was a woman named Tamar. But Ur was a wicked man, and God put him to death, and this happened before the two had any children, and with that, a drama unfolds. So then, according to the Liverite marriage laws we had learned about while studying the book of Ruth, Onan, the secondborn, should have married her, but instead, he just had sex with her, spilled his semen on the ground, so God put Onan to death. Apparently, he's a wicked man as well. And then because Judah had this horrible family and because he was afraid that Shelah would anger God as well, he just kept Shelah from Tamar, relegating Tamar to a poverty-stricken widow. So one day, Tamar dressed up as a prostitute and disguised herself, and as Judah must have been in the habit of visiting prostitutes, stopped to pick up this prostitute. Tamar kept herself disguised in some fashion, and Judah had relations with her, not knowing it was his daughter-in-law, and Tamar got pregnant. That child would then inherit that which would have been inherited by Ur, the dead husband. And that, folks, is the wonderful story of how Perez was born. So if you know your Old Testament well, you might then read verse 12 and then verse 18 and say, why would anyone want to remind Boaz and Ruth about Perez? Because this is a bad Liverite marriage between Judah and Tamar, and the one between Boaz and Ruth is a good marriage. Well, three things should be noted. First of all, according to Numbers 26, the descendants of Perez became the dominant clan within the tribe of Judah. Secondly, there is evidence that with the birth of Perez, a change happened in the life of Judah. He goes from being a man who violates the law of God and cares nothing about righteousness, a man who visits prostitutes, to in the end becoming a man of God and a righteous man. We read about that in the story of Joseph. I think, although the Bible doesn't say so, that the birth of Perez humbled Judah and God used this event as a catalyst for change in his life. And third, Boaz the righteous man is a direct descendant of Perez, a baby whose birth changed the direction of a family. So I can see from the very first part of verse 18, which states that these are the generations of Perez, that the plans of God are far-reaching. They redeem lost causes. And that may be you. Perhaps you're a lost cause. Perhaps you come from the worst family background ever, or you've sinned more than you think that God can forgive. But hear me, if Ruth teaches us that God is good all the time, it tells me that God can be good to you. If you but surrender your life to him, you're going to find out that God will use even your most dreadful sins for not something that is good, but for his best. God's plans are so far-reaching that they also can include you. In a little while, I'll lead you in a prayer in which you can surrender your life to Christ. God plans to redeem you. Now, let me draw your attention to another name in the list. Notice in verse 21 that it was a man named Selman who either was the father or the grandfather of Boaz. Now, this is exciting. For all of you in your Bible reading that are prone to pay no attention to genealogical lists, let me cure you of this forever, right now. 
Let me read to you from the genealogical list at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. I'm reading from Matthew 1, verses 4 and 5. There it says, And Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Selman, and Selman, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Now, if you don't know who Rahab was, she was a woman who lived in the ancient city of Jericho, the very first city that Joshua and Israel devoted to absolute destruction. She was a condemned woman in a condemned city. And what's more, she was an idol-worshiping prostitute. And one day, two men showed up in her place, not for business, but they were spies, spies of the armies of Israel, and they were running for their lives and looking for a place to hide. She had heard that the God of Israel was there, and all she knew was that she wanted to know that God, and so she put her life at risk to protect the soldiers and the army of Israel. And when Jericho was destroyed, God ordered that Rahab and her family be spared, and she was. And she became a follower of the one true living God, and this woman was probably Boaz's grandmother. Now, do you see why when Boaz first met Ruth, a foreign idol worshiper who left all to follow hard after the God of Israel, he loved her immediately. It's because that's what Boaz, this man of standing, was. He was the son of parents who had been redeemed out of brokenness. Now, isn't that amazing? That it's just such a man who would impoverish himself to redeem a Moabite woman. It takes a redeemed man to have mercy on someone who also needs to be redeemed. Did I say that the plans of God are far-reaching? Well, they are. They redeem lost causes, and they also redeem hopeless outsiders. And if you feel you're a hopeless outsider, I want you to hear me. God is good all the time. Your being an outsider will contribute to your advantage when you surrender to God. There is absolutely nothing that God wastes. Nothing is trivial. Nothing is unnecessary. Nothing is wasted. God's plans and his ways will be marvelous. Now, let me highlight a third name in this genealogy. The third name is the most easily recognizable name in the bunch. It's the last name in our genealogy, and that's the name David. David became king of Israel around 1010 BC, and he ruled as king for 40 years. He was Israel's great king, a man after God's own heart. In time, God made a covenant with David that his offspring, his seed, would not only rule over all Israel, but one of his offspring would establish a kingdom that would rule over the whole world. And so has come Jesus, the son of David, who is king of kings and lord of lords. And that brings us back to the story of a widow from Moab. A destitute woman with no prospects one day just happens to find herself gleaning in the field of a man named Boaz. And behind all the sorrow and the heartache and the seemingly random choices is the unseen hand of a God whose providential care governs all of these events. And what does that tell you? Sometimes the great actions of God happen not through kings and prophets and mighty preachers, but through everyday faithfulness of a man or a woman who decide they will walk faithfully with their God. And that should give you hope. Who but knows what God is up to in your times and in your life? Don't be bitter with your losses. Don't imagine that God's hand had gone out against you. Don't assume that what you have lost cannot be redeemed. Believe that a sovereign God is exercising his providential care over your life and trust that his plans are being fulfilled and remain faithful, knowing that God is at work in greater ways than you have ever imagined. 
And if you've never met this God, and if you've never said, I want to surrender to you, now is the time to do it. Haven't you heard up till now that all the people of God are made up of rogues and scoundrels and men and women who have sinned and gone wonky in their lives, and that's you as well? God is the God who takes hopeless cases and makes them his own. No matter who you are or what your family comes from or what your background is, God can change you and graft you into a a walk with him that will simply be astounding. Surrender your life to him. Say to him, Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've strayed so far from you, and I have thought you can't do anything with my life. But somehow from this story of Ruth, I've come to believe that you can do all things. Here's my life. I surrender it into your hands. I believe that Jesus is Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins and make me your own. Amen. John, this has been a great series in the book of Ruth and one that's going to be a real popular one in the days ahead. But let me ask you a a quick question in respect to redemption. People need to understand the whole idea that that's what God is about. He's about redeeming his people. Yeah, and the word redemption is such a rich word. Uh, It means to be bought out of slavery. And uh, to be redeemed means to be restored. And, and that's what the book of Ruth really is all about. I mean, you can only imagine the beginning when, uh, you know, when, when and Ruth has lost her husband and Naomi's lost her husband and, you know, they're going back to Israel and so Ruth has lost her family. I mean, the losses are so staggering. But the redemption of God, the one who, who makes things new, the one who adds richness in our lives should be counted on. So I would want to say to everyone who has spent so much time in their lives just mourning for what has been lost, put your hope in God. I believe he's the redeemer. So um, I, I think that's a, a key and significant part of that. And I guess that uh, extends to the fact that our hope really isn't in the things we receive today. Even uh, it, it, our hope is in tomorrow. It's in, it's in the future, what God has, has promised and committed to us. Yeah, how could Ruth and Boaz have known? that eventually David would come from them? And how would they have known that eventually the Christ would come and the salvation of the whole world? How could they have known? None of that was known to them. And so we must put our hope in in future grace and the grace that's yet to be revealed. And so that gives great hope to every believer. Thanks so much, John, for a great series on the book of Ruth. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. I believe God's people have a responsibility to be great stewards of all He has given. So personally, that means I need to give considered thought to the future. If the question of the planning of your estate has never been discussed, well, maybe it's because you haven't had the opportunity to do so with someone you can trust. So I'd like to recommend our friends from Advisors with Purpose. This group of professionals are committed to ensuring that your estate intentions and wishes are planned for maximum benefit of your loved ones and or organizations you believe in. Advisors has performed this service with integrity and excellence for thousands of people across Canada. And right now it's a service they're offering for free to our listening audience. No cost, no obligation, completely confidential. This is an important conversation and there are no strings attached. So call today for more information or to sign up for a free seminar this October 
by calling advisors at 1-866-336-3315. That's 1-866-336-3315. Or check out their website at advisorswithpurpose.ca.